Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high-quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments. And get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Working from home, bills, layoffs, furloughs, breaking news updates, homeschooling. These are just some of the concerns facing families during these unprecedented times. The stress and anxiety facing families right now is unlike anything we've seen, and it's taking a toll. So I'm joined on the phone today by a team from Baptist Health Madisonville. Skylar Fopp, Community Education Manager, Brad Long, Clinical Director, and psychiatrist Dr. Shabir Abu Buckner to dive into these issues and more that our listeners are facing. So thank you for joining me and tuning in to another special episode of the Health Talks Now podcast. Thank you for having us. I'd like to focus this discussion today on relationships, specifically marriages and families. It appears we have several more weeks of social distancing and self-isolation ahead of us. Remote working is certainly not a staycation, and understandably, couples are already feeling the strain. To start, how do you recognize the stress, and what can we do to maintain stability, or rather sanity, if a couple is already juggling a full workload and the household management of kids. So this is Dr. Abubakar. Um, just to kind of start the conversation off, I think that sometimes when there's shifts and transitions, there's generally bumpiness in trying to find a new set, new ground to land on. And our usual like schedules and assumed like responsibilities may not be there the way that they were. And so sometimes we have to kind of uh, figure out how are we going to create a new stable ground to kind of rebuild on. And that can be a little unsettling, but it can also be looked at as an opportunity to kind of revisit what are our values as a couple and as a family and what's important and how do we find ways of juggling different responsibilities. How do we find uh, time to schedule certain things, maybe making some responsibilities more directed as opposed to assumed. And sometimes those kinds of things can be helpful to try to reduce the amount of stress that's there, because sometimes there's an assumption that something's going to be done, but it doesn't get done, and then there's fighting or argumentation as a result. So sometimes being more upfront and direct about dividing up the responsibilities, and then also giving each person an ability to have some way of finding space, and that may not be a lot of physical space, but it may be some time or activity that gives them a way of kind of de-stressing, moving away from the family being together, and then also thinking about having activities there together to kind of help increase the bond between everyone. Those are just some thoughts. Okay. So adapting the communication style and being conscientious to maintain some alone time but embrace space as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Go ahead. This is Brad. Sorry, I would just like to add, I I think, you know, one thing that we stress a lot here with with the folks that we get to work with on a day-to-day basis is being very intentional. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a a very good point to kind of focus on during this, as Dr. A said, this transition into our, uh, at least our new temporary normal. It would be very easy to get overwhelmed and and know that 
that that overwhelming feeling of, of anxiety is a normal feeling. I think folks should know that, that they're not alone in, in feeling anxious and feeling that increased level of stress at home. But to not not forget to be intentional with that communication, um, especially in a marriage, especially for couples that are, are working remotely or, or maybe not working at all. On top of having kids at home and, and having to do online school and, and maintaining, as you said, that stability, what we often recommend, even outside of a pandemic, is to have this intentionality about the way that we communicate with each other. So setting a time aside each day, whether it be for five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes to just talk, not necessarily about anything super deep or anything like that, but just to have that time where husband and wife or mom and dad or couple or, or family unit can communicate with each other rather than just getting caught up in all the commotion, actually setting the time aside to have conversations and to talk through things together is pretty important. Sure. I like that tip. That's great. As restrictions were lifted in China, residents were able to get out and there was a huge surge in divorce filings. It was also reported that domestic violence, incidences of child abuse are also up. How do you attribute that back to these stressors that we mentioned? Well, I think as we alluded to, this is a really, really hard time. You know, we live in in a culture today where we're used to being able to do what we want, when we want, and how we want it. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, early March, middle March, that all really came to a halt. And so folks that, you know, were used to a certain lifestyle have had to have a drastic change to that lifestyle. And so when, when you look at individual lifestyles being kind of turned upside down, you can only imagine the impact that has on their interpersonal relationships. Specifically, you know, if, if you're being quarantined in a house with your family for weeks, months, it's going to impact your interpersonal relationships. Dr. Abubakar, you know, spoke on how really it comes down to perspective. We can perceive that as, as being at home, mm-hmm. or we can perceive it as an opportunity to reexamine our values and, and the quality of our interpersonal relationships. But to answer your question, all of that stress has an absolute impact on our mental health, has an absolute impact how we manage stress, which obviously impacts your relationship with your your significant other. It impacts individuals' ability to manage stress, which could turn into violence, either verbally or physically. You know, it's very important that early on that we focus on kind of controlling what we can control uh, in a situation that seems to be out of our control. And, you know, what we can control is, is how we respond to it and how we manage that stress in this moment. Yeah, that's a great tip. Dr. A, I don't know if you have anything you want to add to that. Stressful situations mm-hmm. can either bring a group of people together mm-hmm. or they can push a group of people apart. Sure. And so if there's fractures within a family and within a relationship, and if the individuals within that family are focused on these fractures, then what happens is that those things begin to become exaggerated. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the perspective is that we're facing a common enemy, so to speak, and we're in this together to try to figure out how do we face this, mm-hmm. then that, that shift in, in, in perspective can be very helpful in trying to like be very intentional in the way you address things and try to move forward. Yeah. And then so we see this as a challenge that we have to figure out a way to solve. How are we coming together to figure out that? How do we come up with activities, solutions 
that help us to address that issue. Just on a sort of, and this may be touching on some of the other questions you may ask later, but on the one hand, there are a couple of places to where stress is coming from for families. There are the sort of the financial, the social, the interaction-related stressors that exist, right? But there's also this anxiety about this illness and this pandemic. And I think in terms of the anxiety about all of these uncertainties that exist, I think it's worthwhile stepping back from the concept of anxiety and focusing on what we have control over versus what we don't have control over. So anxiety is an emotion that signals us that there's something that's off in our life, there's a problem that exists, there's something that's unsettled that we need to address and and deal with. Mm -hmm. The problem is that in this current environment, there are things that we have no control over. We can't control the spread of this individually. It requires social action to do that, and that's why we're trying to physically distance ourselves from each other. So there's a sense of helplessness that comes, and that, that tends to exacerbate and exaggerate the feelings of anxiety. Okay. And when we feel anxious, oftentimes we feel threatened. And when we feel threatened, we tend to feel more in need to, like, either to run from a situation or to fight in that situation. And, and fighting oftentimes becomes arguing and things of that nature. Okay. So to try to minimize some of that anxiety, it's worthwhile focusing on what do I have control over? What is there that I can do about in this circumstance? And so trying to follow through with some of the physical distancing issues, trying to watch our hand hygiene, and when we go out, we have to go out, and being careful about those kinds of things. And then recognizing that we're doing what we can, and then we have to kind of leave the rest of it be because that's beyond our ability to manage or maintain or control. Yeah, I like that. What tips would you give for relationships to our listeners to maintain balance on, on top of what we've talked about initially of being very intentional with conversation and the way that we're communicating with a partner, as well as recognizing and respecting space. I read a tip recently being conscious to reduce criticism of your partner and maybe allowing your partner to express emotion in a healthy way over this crisis. What other tips would you give? I think that that's a good tip. And the issue is when we feel cornered, we feel threatened. And when we're all together and we don't have enough physical space, then we have a tendency to notice the things about a person with us that is more, I guess, problematic, more troubling. And so instead of trying to focus on that, if you're trying to give them some space and recognizing that I feel threatened and so I need to feel like I'm I'm doing something, and sometimes what that is is criticizing the, the person you're with. And sometimes it's helpful to recognize that people need just simply to be able to express what's on their mind and to be able to say, look, I'm stressed out. Yeah. And the two can share the feeling of, I'm also stressed out. I don't have all the answers either. And that creates a commonality and a feeling of connection between the two folks or between all of the folks. Sure. Speaking of connection, would you weigh in on sex in a marriage if it is a good way to bond, but also to be conscientious that there shouldn't be pressure applied? But because so much time is spent within the household right now, making that time to be intimate, to reconnect. So I would say not just with sex or or intimacy, but knowing your significant others. Gary Chapman has a book called The Five Love Languages. Sure. I think that's super important because intimacy and sex isn't everyone's love language. And so I think, you know, it goes back to what Dr. Abubakar was saying, knowing what your significant other needs, especially in a time of crisis, and knowing how to, quote, unquote, 
fill up their love tank, mm-hmm. whether that be, you know, so he gives the example of five different love languages, one being physical touch, one being gifts, one being words of affirmation, mm-hmm. acts of service, and then quality time are his five love languages. And I think it's super important to know how your partner, your significant other, your spouse responds. And if it's sex, then so be it. Be intentional with creating time to be intimate with each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's quality time. And so making sure that we put down our phone and we're not spending time on social media too much or watching the news too much, but we're spending that quality time. Maybe it's saying, hey, honey, go go out on the deck and read a book and I'll do the dishes or the laundry. Just knowing what it is that your, your significant other, how they respond to things yeah. is even more important because like we've said already, we're going to be spending unusual amounts of time with our family unit. Mm-hmm. And so stress is, is going to be at an all-time high. And so that means that we're going to be more intentional with making sure that each other's love tanks are filled. Yeah, and their needs are being met. There's something I was want to ask you about social distancing. How can that hurt or impact mental health? Part of the reason I use physical distancing is that I think that's actually what we need. We need to physically distance. And so sometimes when people think of social distancing, they have a real hard time distinguishing that from social isolating. Okay. And so the idea isn't that we need to socially isolate because this is really a time where we need to support each other. The thing is that we need to physically distance. And so keeping connections with our loved ones, it may be through FaceTime or via phone or or by chatting or some other mechanism, but trying to maintain our connections, our social connections, is uh, really important when it comes to dealing with the negative impact of socially isolating. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why I want to make that distinction that what, when we think about the illness, it's about droplets or like contact issues that we need to be paying attention to. And so we want to physically distance from folks. And that practically can create social isolation but trying to counter that by connecting with people in whatever means that we can that's safe to do. So social isolation can result in, you know, just feelings of stress and depression because human beings tend to be gregarious. We like to be around other human beings. Being isolated from other human beings is difficult. So I, I think maybe shifting that conceptualization to that way of I need to be physically away from large groups of people. I need to be physically away from other folks as much as possible, but I want to keep socially connected with the people that are important in my life, and that might be via technology. Okay, that's a clear distinction. That's very helpful. What does stress look like, and what is happening physically and biologically when we experience high levels of stress? So I think we have a tendency to kind of compartmentalize. There's sort of like mental processes, and then there are physical processes. But the reality of the matter is that the, the two interact with each other, and so our emotional states affect our physical states. And so there are certain, you know, hormonal changes that can happen. So, for example, cortisol is a stress hormone that is released, and that can have an impact on our physical health. And sometimes it has an immunosuppressive effects on the body, mm-hmm. and those are negative in a, in a situation of infection. And so trying to reduce stress is very helpful in that way. Trying to improve sleep can really help with regards to stress hormone levels and, and maybe provide some stress relief so that we ha- we're more able to manage the stress. Sometimes stress can be in the form of a threat. So all human beings and animals have what is called a fight or flight response, which is when we're in situations of danger, our bodies release adrenaline, and that adrenaline causes certain physiological changes in our body that help us to 
white or to run from situations of danger. Okay. This is intended to be like a short-term kind of thing in a, in a life-threatening situation. But the problem is that in the modern world, we tend to have high-stress situations more than we have life-threatening situations. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes feelings of threat can result in, in adrenaline release, that an emotional threat can result in adrenaline release. And then you feel this rush of like emotion and, and it's harder to control our responses and we tend to get more irritable and more angry and more reactive. Those are some physical and biological like, you know, impacts of uh, stress and how they may impact our emotional state as well. How does marital stress impact health? So I, I don't think marital stress in particular is, is different in terms of these matters that I mentioned, but it's worthwhile thinking about marital stress in terms of the fact that our marital relationships tend to be our most intimate and our most intense relationships. Sure. And so strain and distress in that relationship can be very profoundly distressing. And especially at a time when we feel a lot of external threat from the pandemic, from financial issues, from other like life-related stressors, having the marital relationship be another source of stress as opposed to a place of refuge adds to that overall difficulty in managing the stress. Sure, kind of shakes the foundation a bit, and it could it could seem worse mm-hmm. than it is, but I really like your tip that you gave earlier about just being conscientious of time and intentional to keep what you can control, keep that focus. Well, how do you recommend balancing caregiving, work, and family obligations during these times? So I think there's a couple things to consider here. You know, there are some folks that are, are doing just that. They're maybe healthcare workers or considered what we were hearing so often, the essential businesses that are still working. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of folks that are having to go to work every day, all while trying to maintain the obligations of caring for their children. Um, maybe they have elderly family members that they're having to get groceries for and, and care for as well. You know, that can be overwhelming. And that's a lot of responsibility, all while you're trying to maintain your own health and well-being and that of your family. You know, I think it's important that First and foremost, you kind of prioritize those things and you have a clear understanding of the importance of making sure that that you are well. That way you can appropriately care for and, and maintain the other obligations. You know, that's not to say that you're ignoring the other obligations that you have, but Dr. Abebecker always gives the analogy of the oxygen mask on an airplane, right, when it falls down and they always instruct you to make sure that you put your oxygen mask on first. That way you're able to help someone else if you need it. So yeah. first and foremost, I think we have to make sure that we are all taking care of ourselves, our own health and well-being. And then we are able to help those others around us as much as possible, all while trying to make sure that we're following the guidelines that are being put out there. I think as far as maintaining all of those, it goes back to, again, being very intentional and making sure that you understand what you're capable of doing, you mm-hmm. understand kind of, you know, what your limits are. And if you get to a point where you feel overwhelmed with all of those obligations, that you have that set time where you can take a step back and refuel yourself. If you're running on, on empty, it's going to be very hard to carry through and, and, and actually see those obligations out. So just, again, being very intentional with making sure that you're having that that self-reflection and making sure that you are where you you need to be in order to to maintain all of those things. It's really helpful. I think it's also important to take it a day at a time. Okay. I feel like you don't have to have everything figured out on Monday. You don't have to figure out what you're doing on Friday. Like on Monday, you just need to worry about that particular day. 
and come up with that plan of attack. I mean, sometimes it's going to work and sometimes it's not. But, I mean, as long as you simply agree to do your best, then I think that you can just adjust accordingly and go from there. Yeah. I mean, I can't speak for Brad and Dr. A, but I can tell you that from my own experience, like what I do is I go home and me and my fiance talk every night before bed about, you know, what went on that day and then what our plan is for the next day. And then we just do that at the end of every night. And Mm -hmm. that's how we're handling things at this point in time. Sure. I love that. Just to jump in and maybe add a little point on that. Anxiety happens when we feel that we are helpless to do something. Okay. And today is a place where we have control and the ability to do things. Tomorrow is a place where we don't have control. And so if our mind is living in tomorrow, we feel a sense of helplessness and anxiety. Mm-hmm. If our life is focused on what am I doing today, then we have, we're in a place of control and we, have, we tend to feel more empowered and less polite, helpless and anxious. That's a good perspective. So what if someone has pre-existing mental health conditions? How does that impact this added anxiety that we're experiencing right now? If you have pre-existing mental health issues, a lot of times it can make those illnesses sometimes worse. Sometimes people have more difficult time managing. So someone may have been stable on their medications or with their therapy for a period of time, and now with this it's become more challenging. Sometimes it may be related to not being able to access therapy resources because of some of the changes that are going on in terms of accessing resources. It may be related to the fact that the stress is significant enough that the medications aren't sufficient or circumstances are such that the illness, the underlying illness is, is just exacerbated. And depending on the, the type of mental health issue, whether it's um, depression or anxiety or bipolar illness or schizophrenia or substance use, all of these things can sometimes be exacerbated by situations of stress. And particular with regards to substance use, substances are often used as a way of numbing or forgetting or escaping from stressors and difficulties. And so it's very possible that people will turn to that at this time because they feel overly stressed. And what I worry is that there's going to be an increase in substance use. And then in the next month or two, there's going to be a significant kind of um, fallout from that. And so being conscientious of that fact and recognizing that Substances are not a solution to the problem. There's a temporary escape that may result in negative consequences and, and problems. We do have various resources through our family practice okay. service line that offers some virtual care or, or telehealth. We do have resources that we're able to point folks in the direction to as far as community resources here in, in our local community of Madisonville and surrounding areas of Hopkins County that will be able to help them, whether it be virtually or in a crisis situation, if, if that need does arise. Sure. Okay. I was going to say, I was reading earlier, like, one of the things that stood out to me said, this is individuals with pre-existing physical illness are more likely to get physically ill from coronavirus. People whose mental illness is compromised are at a greater risk of experiencing worsening mental illness as a result of the coronavirus, no matter what their mental illness may be. And so we might not be able to treat that, but one of the tools that are available online is that you can do online anxiety screening for free using an anonymous confidential tool from mhascreening.org. Okay. And so that's not affiliated with Baptist in any way, but it is a free online tool that might help someone who is in need to kind of gauge where their anxiety might be on sure. a scale if they're at home and in need. Okay. And then once things change, they certainly can bring those results and start a conversation with their provider. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and we're, we're you know we're here 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Even though you know this is going on, we have an inpatient unit that's here with services that happen around the clock. And so, if you know any of the listeners feel like that they are in need and need help, even if they don't feel like they're in a time of crisis yet, but try to want to try to prevent that from happening, they can reach out to us here at any time. There's also a, a 24-hour crisis hotline as well that you know, folks can call into and be directed to resources. The last thing we want people to do is, is feel like there is, you know, even though everything is closed down and shut down, there's all these restrictions. We're a hospital and we're still here to serve them and, and walk through this journey with them. Thank you. Sure. I'll put those um, links in the show notes. So how do you talk to your children about COVID-19? How would you explain to them what's going on during this time? And how do you help your children reduce stress? I'll speak. First, just a little bit from personal experience, and I know Dr. Ibubakar has some personal experience as well. I have two small children um, that aren't really able to comprehend what's going on. Just from a personal standpoint, I always try to be very transparent with my children and honest with them. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, making sure that I don't instill anxiety and fear in them. You know, I've often heard that throughout this so far that your kids may not remember this pandemic happening, but they will certainly remember how their parents responded to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that might might be a challenge to those parents. Mm-hmm. Again, it's okay to be anxious. Uh, it's okay to, to talk to your children about what's going on, but also making sure that, that we're not creating fear and unnecessary anxiety, again, about things that are simply out of our control. So I don't think that it's inappropriate to talk to them. I do think that it's important to understand on what level to talk to your children. Certainly, you know, talking to a 16-year-old or a senior in high school that's, that's having to miss their last few weeks of school is different than me talking to my, my three-year-old. Sure. We do talk about it. We limit their, their exposure to, you know, obviously hearing my conversation with another adult. In my opinion, that's not needed. Mm-hmm. But also, I think it's important to create a routine. Something we've done in our household is we still make our Kids get up at the same time every morning, going to bed at the same time, getting them dressed throughout the day like they would if they were going to school. That way, you know, you're still creating some structure and some routine. And also know that that this is really, really hard on them. And maybe understanding if they're a little bit, have a little bit more of an attitude. You know, their anxiety, their stress, all of these emotions that they experience just like we do, oftentimes present themselves differently than they would in an adult. And Dr. I know you probably have something to add to that. Yeah, so I have three daughters and they're all like 11 and up. I think the way that you interact depends somewhat on the age group of the child and how much information you like reveal and how much you talk to them about. But I think it is worthwhile having conversations because there are often anxieties and worries that they may not be expressing directly to you, but that's resulting in maybe so behavioral issues, more irritability, and things of that nature. And sometimes, you know, families have gotten to the habit of kind of having their own silos that they live in. And one of the opportunities in this social distancing and living in a home kind of environment is that people have the opportunity to maybe sit down and do some activities with their child, play a board game as opposed to something with technology that actually gets you to, like, interact with your child. Those kinds of activities may help you kind of reconnect with them. And then in that process, sometimes having conversations, as opposed to necessarily having to have a, a sit-down conversation about this topic of COVID, 
allow it to sort of naturally come about as a result of interaction. I think that the same advice that I tend to give other adults is that focus on what there's control over. What is there in your life? Mm -hmm. What is happening locally in your surroundings, in your environment? What can you do about it? How can you approach it? What control do you have? And that allows a person to feel more empowered and less helpless. And part of the problem with this particular pandemic is that it's a global thing, and we see all these news flippings about, you know, all these statistics and that they scare us. But the reality of the matter is that we're not living that statistic and that we're not responsible for that entire global perspective. We're just responsible for our own lives. Sure. And focusing there allows us to feel less helpless. And, and you can do that with children as well by tra- helping them to kind of see where they are. And for my kids, the, the, you know, like one's in college and she's got online classes and the other kids are, have some online classes too from school. Mm-hmm. And so that gives them a level of structure and things to occupy their mind. And so if that's not the case, if the kids don't have things, then I think it is important to create some activities and structure. Otherwise, it is very difficult for them to kind of spend all of this time kind of cooped up. It's also worthwhile if, like, there are areas that you can go out. And we went uh, hiking recently, last week, just to get out of the house and still be around ourselves and still be away from other people physically. Thinking in, in, in that kind of direction may be another way to think about it. I like that. Let's well, got a question regarding finances. Finances are one of the biggest sources of conflict in marriages under normal circumstances. I read the statistic that said 31% of couples argue about money at least once a month. But John Gottman, a leading psychologist in many areas of families and marriages, suggested that arguments about money really aren't about money. Many families are certainly feeling the strain of the economic impact of this quarantine from furloughs or layoffs or other stressors. And I'm wondering, what advice would you give to a couple that is struggling to agree about money? And what can families do to protect their relationship from financial stressors? You know, back to what I said about the fact that stressful situations tend to exacerbate underlying fractures. Sure. And so I think that's probably what is happening with regards to financial stressors, that they're exacerbating underlying fractures that are there. It's really sometimes challenging if the two individuals don't really see eye to eye Mm -hmm. with regards to how to manage money. If one person is a saver, another person is a spender, and that's always been the case, then that can create extra stress in a situation where there is financial stress. Having open, clear discussions about our value with regards to money and where do we stand and how do we want to approach it, what are necessary things that we need to take care of, mm-hmm. what are discretionary things that we really need to figure out how do we step back on. Those are all things that folks can think about to help them think through that process. But I think a clear, open discussion about it as opposed to the tendency, which is to argue over single like events. So something was purchased and then there, that results in an argument. And so because there isn't sort of an agreement between the two about how to how, how are we spending money? What are our goals? What are our financial goals? And maybe this is an opportunity to have that discussion with each other. What, what is important financially? And then sometimes figuring out together, how do we make these hard decisions? If, if, you know, in terms of if there are jobs lost, how do we manage paying the rent and the utilities and things of that nature? Hopefully the stimulus checks come in soon, mm-hmm. which hopefully help folks to have some alleviation of this. The fact that Taxes can be paid later if they have taxes to pay. Some of those things hopefully will help as well. Anything else you guys want to share with me? I encourage folks. Oftentimes, as Dr. A said, we can feel 
very hopeless and helpless in the midst of a, of a chaotic and crisis situation. You know, know that we're not in this alone. And I know that sounds kind of cheesy and sounds maybe like a political, something you would hear from a political figure. But knowing that we're all going through this literally step by step together mm-hmm. um, and knowing that even though we can't control what we're faced with, we can hopefully control at least some of the outcome. And so doing what we can as individuals to, you know, we hear our governor in Kentucky talk every day about doing our part and not looking to be the exception. I would just encourage folks that are listening to this to take that to heart. We have, I guess, the blessing here to to work in a hospital and, and at this time still go to work every day. But also knowing that the halls of our hospital are very empty mm-hmm. and are very lonely and are very tense. And so Unfortunately, we get to see kind of the darker side of things and and see the reality that this is a real issue. So I would just encourage folks to do their part. Like we said earlier, if you you don't have to get out to not get out, you know, if you do have to get out to make sure that you're following the guidelines of the physical distancing and good hand hygiene and and those types of things. And also know that, I mean, this is just temporary, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, this is not something that that we're going to live in forever. Yeah. Although our, we may have a new normal, our new normal is certainly not going to look like it looks right now. And so find hope in knowing that this is just temporary and that we we will all get through this at the end of the day. I love it. Skylar, Brad, Dr. Abu Buckner, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health, be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.